You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In this half-hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. And before we dive into my guest today, I want to take a moment to let everyone know that we'll be broadcasting the This Just In Radio Show again live from the HIMSS Annual Conference. The HIMSS Conference this year will be in Orlando, Florida, starting on February 20th. We already have another great slate of CEO, CIO, leading care providers, industry thought leaders, and certainly policymakers joining the show again. Some familiar faces, but also many new. Uh, much more to come from the HIMSS media team in the coming weeks, but we'll do our same two-day format and broadcast live from the HIMSS annual conference show floor, February 20th and 21st. We're even having a special stage built to resemble the ESPN College Game Day look and feel. So hopefully everyone's registering for HIMSS 17 in Orlando, and we'll see you there. It's guaranteed to be another great, fun, and informative time. For this episode, though, my 82nd episode, we're going to speak to a good, longtime friend and former colleague, Greg Fulton. Greg is the industry policy and content lead for Phillips Wellcentiv. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. And also wanted to know congratulations on the new company, certainly. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Um, as you know, we've, uh, we helped build one company and, and now uh, took a little bit of time off and doing it again. And it's uh, a, <laughs> a lot of work. Not that I forget how much work it is, um, but, uh, but certainly um, we did a roll-up of a couple of companies and then taking them back to market. Um, let's just say I got a lot of elbow grease at work every single day and um, never a lack of hard work to do, So, but I'm happy. Attracting <laughs> some good talent. Thanks, my friend. Um, also, you know, as you know, our, our last couple of shows uh, have been a, just a great success. Um, you know, we have thousands of listeners and thousands continue to download even after our initial broadcast. So great to have you back. I'm sure it's going to be as engaging, as informative, and as much fun. So, um, and, and I think every time we get together, I always say this, but it's, it's true, it's in my heart. Uh, you're one of the brightest people I've ever been um, blessed to work with uh, and continue to work with, to be honest, because you and I still collaborate yeah. quite a bit. But um, yes. there is no one that can pick up a 1,000-page, a 2,000-page piece of regulation or legislation and digest it as well as you make it, you know, you, you do, you pull out all the poignant parts, the salient points, what's important to us, uh, your company, your colleagues, how uh, you really boil it down. And there's no one that I've come across that has that art. I mean, to put, you know, a thousand to 2000 pages into one, two or three pages. So um, you're among the best, my friend. And I always learn so much from you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think um, history and, and experience versus in a, in the old age. Yep. <laughs> no. So without uh, further ado, I know one of your favorite words. Um, let's dive into all the big things happening in healthcare and health IT public policy. But actually, before we get too far into that, um, 
I know you very well. We've worked together for a long time. But uh, tell my audience about your background, where you grew up. Uh, I say that you have a little bit of a quote-unquote checkered past. You've been with some cool uh, news outlets, um, you know, journalism background, uh, press yeah. background. Uh, and I know it's been all intricate to your success long-term. But tell us about yourself. Sure, well, sure. Appreciate Um Gosh, I grew up in Ohio. I, I attended Ohio State. I went to journalism school there, as, as you know. And... Gosh, I spent about 20-some years in print journalism, did a little bit of TV at CNN, and I think that was really the proving ground for, for what you're speaking to. Um, did some daily newspapers, spent about 10 years at Time Magazine here in Atlanta. Yeah. And I think, you know, I spent all that time covering government and turning content around on deadline. So I think, I think that, that proved well, and what I'm doing now largely is covering government and turning content around on deadline. So I think those, those played into each other quite well. Actually, that's a good point. It's almost you could actually do a theme that you could share with some of your journalism, even professors or even departments that you may know or even just to send them an unsolicited letter. I think that's actually a, a great point just for journalism students that, you know, to let them know that you could have a very, you know, varied career, not just in journalism, not just in press or even media and TV, but also public and government affairs because you, again, you have such a great eye um, I mean, obviously you're smart, but I, I think your your eye into the way that you can master content, and that's a key piece to, to government affairs. I mean, obviously there's the there's the whole component of um, of uh, you know lobbying and advocacy, but you also being an expert on this content is critically important. They don't always go hand in hand, so I think that uh, you could really uh, be a boon to people from an educational standpoint. Yeah, it's it, it's funny because I, that you say that because I have spoken to some journalism classes about that, and I tell all my old journalist friends, you know, as that industry has devolved a little bit and others like mm -hmm. Health IT have have grown, that you know there there is a place for you in in the corporate side if if you can write and, and digest and things. So you know you're, you're certainly right, and, and I've been happy to, to that that transition has proved out pretty well for me. Yeah, actually, people don't – they really don't understand that government affairs is not about lobbying and about advocacy all the time. It can be if you want it to be, but yeah. it's more about knowing how public policy can affect your business, future-proofing your business and your strategy by understanding the wins, the political wins, um, how regulation can affect you, leg pending legislation could affect you. Uh, these are all significant components to how companies thrive or fail. It doesn't have to be that you lobby. It just say, hey, I want to be knowledgeable about what policy affects my company, affects our, our corporate strategy. Um, and I think that's that's all, you know, you and I tangled, you know, wove all of this together very successfully. Yes, but, yeah. but people don't pay enough attention. I think a lot of my, my team does. I know that you work closely with Caitlin and, and others. And, and they certainly have taken on that uh, that aspect in their own companies, and you know, with Philips Well Incentive and others. But a lot right. of companies don't pay a lot enough respect, in my opinion. So you just kind of made me think of that. That um, you know, you do really serve a great role in that capacity. Well, yeah. What are the what are two main tenets of journalism that that really should translate over to you know corporate affairs? Certainly in terms of government or regulatory, it's asking the right questions and listening. <laughs> you can put that together and then disseminate. You know, it, it, it can be valuable. So on that note, um, listening, I know that you're just up in D.C. Uh, and uh, yes. right before the holidays. And obviously you got a good lay of the land for some thoughts around the Trump administration, the new leadership at HHS. We're very fortunate. Uh, you and I both 
uh, live in Georgia now, and, and it looks like our um, incoming Secretary of Health and Human Services will be Tom Price, Congressman Price, uh, and uh, he's thankfully he's been a good friend of mine for about 15, 16 years now. So I think that um, you know we could be well positioned, but HHS, uh, from, from the industry standpoint, I know we're going to talk about that. I think he's, he's going to look out for our industry in some great ways, and certainly care providers him being a care provider, um, but uh, but you know, what are your thoughts on some of the new administration on from HHS, but also CMS and some of their value-based care models? Because that's been under, under discussion, quote unquote, I would say, uh, in the come in the past uh, two three months. Yeah, was up there in in December and and was fortunate to attend a really good conference and summit. Jefferson College of Population Health had a really nice summit, twofold really, uh, in part to kind of slice and dice macro. And then the other real aspect of it was to t take a look at, at the new administration and, and maybe what to expect. I think some dust has settled since then. Mm -hmm. You know, the backdrop or, or the, the idea being, wow, as, as you note, where is value-based care going to go under a new administration as, as, as well as health IT? Um, you know, for Tom Price, there is some perception that he's not a big fan of health IT. There's some truth to that. You know, other perceptions, well, gosh, he doesn't like value-based care programs or, or models, you know, Providers have a lot of hoops to jump through. It's a bit of a slippery slope, a lot that might go into that. And I, I think, you know, this conference, some really good speakers, folks you are well aware of and, and quite close to. Michael Levitt spoke mm -hmm. there himself, yep. a former GOP HHS secretary, and now with Levitt Partners, Farzad Mostashari, Mostashari, I should pronounce it, and folks like that, you know well, that I, gave, I think gave some real good perspective. Um, and I, I think on tangible takeaways, um, there was some real consensus that what we can expect out of value-based care models is some refinement or, or, or some physician-centric thinking in, in the value-based care, not that they will go away by any means. Some, some are, are certainly entrenched. I think there was an interesting consensus that we'll see the advent or, or a real look at, at more Medicare Advantage uh, value-based care models, kind of that public-private mix there. And I, I've since heard that from congressional staffers, so I certainly do believe that, that that will come along. You know, CMMI, the Innovation Center, has, has come under some speculation. I think Michael Levitt was grounded in saying that the analytics provided by CMMI are, are, are very worthwhile. He, he made the point that, you know, bundled care has made more of a return to the Medicare Trust than ACOs have, some things like that. So, you know, don't look for some wholesale baby in bath water. Um, <laughs> some things like that. So I think it was a good conference. Um, and you and I had spoken about this a little bit, and, and I think that more information needs to get out on, you know, again, MACRA, already a law, established, um, voted for by the very leadership that will be taking over in HHS as Congress members, things like that. There's even some language in the MACRA law that provides for the creation of new value-based care models by a new committee already established. It includes six or seven doctors, you know, yeah. the new value-based care models that will be presented to the Secretary of HHS. So there, there's a lot that's entrenched. There's a, a lot that's coming um, that I think will, will, will dovetail nicely into a refinement type of process more than, more than anything more disruptive, I think, to that. Yeah, actually, and, and you and I spoke a little bit about this off-air, <clears throat> that, um, you know, MACRA and certainly the MIPS and the QPP, the Quality Payment Program for 2017, is pretty strong. I mean, it's it's solid. That ship's that ship sailed. 
um, a lot of strategies in the industries, you know, supporting that. Um, and, and you know, when I when I have heard um, Dr. Price speak out on this, it really is around, you know, making, um, ins you know, ensuring. Uh, I do believe he's supportive of health IT, but he also wants to make sure that we get the most for our investment, we get the most out of innovation in this country, uh, that we have the most usable technology possible, uh, and that we really lessen any burdens on care providers. Again, he's an orthopedic surgeon. He has been for 30 plus years. And so, right. uh, he, you know, he's going to make sure, he's going to hold feet to the fire and make sure that these systems are good, they're worthy, they're innovative, they're not burdensome, um, uh, they have great workflows that support the, uh, the care provider and whatever their care plans are. Uh, and then also that the, again, the ease of reporting um, components like that. And I, and, I, yeah, and I think, you know, even the current administration, um, uh, has done a fairly good job moving, you know, and doing everything they can. You're, you're moving a very big industry. You're moving an industry that is resists a lot of change. Uh, and, and so I think that we're making strides. But I think, you know, if we see changes in 2018, 2019, it'll be only for the betterment of, of MACRA, be the only for the betterment uh, for physicians and care providers and all of us to have success out of these programs because, my goodness, we have made big investments and we as taxpayers deserve to have very strong ROI for the 33, 34 billion dollars that has been invested with meaningful use, and then we continue to invest in our healthcare system overall. And I think that that's what uh, I think Tom Price will be dedicated to that uh, type of a mantra. Yeah, I think that MACRA it was pretty clear from the get-go that it, it could or should and likely will undergo annual rulemaking tweaks, and that's to yeah. be expected. So here's the opportunity you speak of to put a little bit of a face on it, you know, hadn't been talked about a lot really in that macro law, yet another acronym, it's called PTAC, it's the Physician Focused Payment Model Technical Advisory <laughs> Committee, that's, right. that's a mouthful, yep. but again, the General Accounting Office has already appointed its 11 members, um, nine models have already been submitted through letters of intent to this, and again, if you look at the macro law, these, the criteria for these models call for the use of health IT. Uh, there's some safety there, risk level flexibility, value over volume, integrated care coordination, cost quality metrics, all very familiar terms with where value-based care incentive and payment models want to go. Uh, some are specialty specifics, some are primary care, bundled payments, you know. And, and again, I, I, you're exactly right that this will provide a way to sort of maybe hit the refresh button on, on, on some of these programs. Yeah, no, uh, very true and great point. Um, and I know that that was, you know, that was also by design, not only by the administration, but certainly by Congress, mm -hmm. is to make sure that we do yeah. um, look back uh, and, and, and look at to see what's working and to see what's not working, and that we have right. these adjustments along the way. Um, so, you know, in talking about adjustments along the way, we, uh, you know, just uh, recently the 21st Century uh, Cures Act was passed, and that's been in the works yeah. for. A long time. I mean, I even worked on that before I came off the hill, and um, and it's good to see it uh, pass. So, give us some of the, the the tenets of that, certainly as it relates to health IT and what we've worked on in the past. Yeah, gosh, um, ninety pages of health IT language in it. Um, four things really jump out at me. It won't belabor them to death, but um, you know, briefly, three of those four things that I. I thought were really interesting. You know, interoperability has always been uh, a linchpin of it or the holy grail of our industry since the first drafts out of the house by Rep Burgess. And, yeah. you know, there's certainly, there is language on information blocking. You know, there's a one million violation per incidence of information 
talking, you know, should should that come to pass? Um, so there's some teeth in some of these uh, passages here, or some of the sections in it. I think another section that really jumped out to me that was interesting, and, and I'll actually read a line from it. Health information technology developers shall be treated as patient safety organizations. That is very interesting, and I think that's something that's going to need a lot of attention or some implementation as this law is interpreted. Um, you know, you saw the concurrent FDA. You lived through FDASIA and yeah. those things on, on looking at ways to make health IT more centric to patient safety. There's some language in cures that, that looks to do that. The other thing I think was real interesting is the PI application programming interfaces, you know, testing them successfully in the real world, so to speak, submitting your reporting criteria, and, um, you know, publishing your APIs and things like that. Certainly we've heard so much about FHIR and the FHIR API as a way to try to advance interoperability. So those are some th sections that sort of jumped out that, as you say, has real teeth or, or some real tangibility to it. Yeah, and, and I even going back to, you know, fines, and you and I worked on this together several years ago, is um, we had a customer at Greenway that wanted to interoperate with a local hospital. And the hospital was uh, being serviced by another ambulatory EHR company. It was not one of the big mm -hmm. names that, um, but it's a very popular name. Um, but uh, it wasn't one of the, the, the larger ones that everybody usually complains about. But, but still the same issues is we, we had a system. We were, you know, you and I worked very hard in interoperability across the industry and deploying it in communities across the country. But we had one in this Northern Jersey where this health system would not share the data. Our customer paid a couple hundred thousand dollars to, to try to, interate, uh, to interoperate. And still, the vendor and the hospital blocked it. So, I mean, I, I, I don't believe in, in government you know, overarching, but in this case, and my gosh, if, if we're not going to let it happen, and this is the patient's data that needs to flow to save lives, um, then, uh, then we need to, to let it flow. So whatever in that benefit um, is good, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and, and I would think that that was some years ago. I, I would would certainly think and hope now that, that more trust can be put into the technology. I think, in part, fears over privacy and security and and you know of that patient data and where's the providence and am I yep. responsible for it as a provider or an organization? I think some of those things are getting flushed out. Well, there's a lot of talk now on blockchain technology as well as API that that can have some governance or, or some yep. trust on the trails, things like that. So I, I think that's where, as you'd say, top of show, help IT can, can help refine and, and, and kind of bring, bridge some of these, these fears slash abilities slash innovations. And again, one more thing in Cures I thought was really interesting, and this again speaks to the history you had in, in helping form some of the organizations around interoperability. The final, final cures law in speaking to interoperability speaks to ONC, you know, the Office of the National Coordinator, somewhat of the interoperability czar as well as certification they do. Final language in cures says that ONC will develop or support a nationwide trusted interoperability framework toward widespread data exchange. Now, the point of that language is earlier versions said that ONC would develop a nationwide trusted framework. Two little words got into the the last part of that law, or support. That's significant because what we saw in the industry on the private sector side before Christmas was the announcement of the agreement between the Commonwealth Health Alliance and Carry Quality to merge their services and, and merge their technologies. Yeah. That's good news because, as you know, Commonwealth is a network, uh, a data exchange network. Carry 
equality is a governance framework around trust. So the hope or the idea in the private sector is that ONC and the federal government can, can be told, look, there is a trusted framework here. It is this new alliance, along with what Sequoia and the eHealth Exchange are doing, that, that can advance interoperability. As these combine, you know, it's also noteworthy to say this also further aligns Sterner and Epic, you know, which has been yep. a topic of conversation around interoperability and certainly up on congressional levels. So some very deft lobbying slash communication on between our industry and uh, congressional staff members to get two little words into cures. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to go a long way to support um, interoperability and you know have private sector initiatives lead the way on that because they're here. You know they're 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 working. They're underway. So oh yeah, that no, was. I agree. I'm glad that you brought up um, Commonwealth and, and Care Equality as you, as you mentioned. I was part of the formation, the founding of both of those those groups and and just recently rolled off the board of Sequoia Project, so uh, which, you know, operates at Care Quality. So, so yeah, I mean. Yeah, I was, I was glad to work for the ride as, as, as you helped form those <laughs> organizations, and then I think they're going, going strong. Yep. My current company has become a member as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. So moving right along, um, tell us about the Isaacson Chronic Care Act, because you and I talked a little bit about that off air. Obviously, John is a senator, sitting senator here in Georgia, but there's a lot of great yes. health IT work. So tell us about that. Yeah, the Chronic Care Act, Senator Isaacson and, and some other fellow senators have formally introduced this into the new Congress. And I think a twofold point on this, going back to what we originally talked about, new administration, what's going to happen, I think real clear, tangible signals are sent from this legislation or this, this bill on sort of staying the course on some value-based care models and those that are underway, what this act would do, it really expands upon what we've seen in the physician fee schedule over the last few years, where the chronic management fee has, has come out, primary care, then was expanded out to FQHCs. What this act will do, it really leverages providers who are currently in next generation ACO models. That's a CMS model, that's a CMMI model, for goodness sake and it'll add benefits and leverage to providers in that. The next round of next-gen uh, practices really are, are due out in the next couple of weeks here this month as well. So it leverages the next-gen ACO, also leverages telemedicine, um, more waivers, more expansion. Again, you see that kind of leaking out in the fee schedule the last few years. Um, as you also know, Justin, the, the new um, chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee is very pro-telemedicine. I think you'll see more deregulation of that as time goes by with this new administration. So the Chronic Care Act leverages those two things. It also has provisions in it for uh, long-term care, uh, SNFs, as they're so somewhat commonly known. Also speaks to end-stage renal disease care and incentives and, and care around that. And again, as you know, also ESRD is currently a macro advanced alternative payment model. Yep. So I, I think a real clear signal from Johnny Isaacson and his folks that what is in place just needs to, again, be refined, be expanded out to really tackle complex chronic care, you know, a, a financial challenge for, for the federal government around Medicare, Medicaid, things like that. So I think this act is very interesting and really looks toward, toward what we can expect in the future. Yeah, no, actually, great points. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit, I mean, I guess real quickly, maybe 60 seconds before we... Um, before we uh, move on to the, my very last topic, um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think the success with macro will be this year? 
I know. We, yeah. What do you What do you think? What do you see in the horizon for Macro this year and MIP specifically the program? Yeah, I think that um, what I've been trying to do in talking about Macro is, is say to people, "Gosh, what's new in Macro that you haven't been doing before?" Right. One more thing, you know, improvement activities within the MIPS four scoring pillars is the only thing new about Macro. Other than that, it's a lot of rebranding. Or, or recasting of some things and really try to simplify it because it does seem so Byzantine and so complicated. I think another way to really simplify it is if you're currently in a CMS ACO, nothing changes for you. You're going to be scored this way or that way or, or what have you, but, but you won't change the way you operate. You'll get automatic credit in some of the MIPS categories, things like that, throughout the term MIPS APM. If you're in the advanced alternative payment models, you've got to hit some risk levels. I think that rightfully so, CMS backed off with congressional nudging to make 2017 reporting quite easy for MIPS. I mean, it boils down to sending one quality measure or one improvement activity, four actually, two medium-weighted, four high-weighted, less if you're a small practice, um, or five ACI, the formerly known as meaningful yeah. use provision. You know, you have to get a score of three to avoid a negative payment adjustment, and, and that's pretty easy to do. Well, here, and, just... You know, we do have to, I do have to, yeah, I got to close here in a moment, but you know, this is, so no, I agree with everything you just said. I think the MIPS track for 2017 is going to be very strong. Uh, I think we're going to have good success. So, but um, you know, I always ask this question. It's my, one of my favorite segments. It's actually my, my audience's favorite segment. So what is your favorite place to get or be inspired? Oh gosh. Well, um, since we have history on the show and history together, I, yep. I think um, you've heard me extol the virtues of the public library system uh, many times. And I, I will not back off on that, but I got to tell you, um, I now have a daughter who is a freshman in college. And if you have not spent time on a college campus recently, I would urge everyone to go to your nearest college campus and try and spend some time. It's wonderful to see your child grow up and, and look toward a future, but I think, I think you also see the possibilities there, and, and it really comes together um, on a campus near you. I, I, I've been moved much recently, but that certainly, certainly did it. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I do spend a little bit of time. I grew up in a five-college community, still frequent that area, and uh, the energy the optimism, the opportunity um, is, is unparalleled. And they just they have the whole future and, and opportunity before them. So it's, it is neat. So I agree with you completely. Very good point, my friend, as always. Hey, it's always great to have you on the show, my friend. Um, I truly t appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join the show. You always do. I think this is your, your fourth or fifth appearance, however we want to count it. You've done a lot of different airtime mm -hmm. with me. So, so thank you again, my friend. Anytime. I, 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 everyone should come back and, and pay over their mentor. Amen. <laughs> thank you, my friend. And thank you to everyone for listening and joining us today. Please tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. And as always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustIn so we can respond to your comments from the show. Uh, and as always, my content's posted at JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week, and hopefully we'll see you all at HIM17 in Orlando. Stop by the show.